All right, welcome to MBAs Unplugged. This is the final MBAs Unplugged of this academic year before we go on a little bit of a summer break, uh, which we'll, I'll talk about later. I'll probably drop a preview episode, uh, sort of letting p- people know what to expect over the summer and going into the next academic year. But I wanted to go into the summer break uh, because I know a lot of you have jobs that do not start until maybe August, maybe September. I'm one of those people. And so for those people who might want to take the break between the end of school and the start of work to go see some of the world, I wanted to bring a expert, renowned world traveler, our class's own version of Anthony Bourdain, Mr. Tom Smith. Tom, thank you for being on the show. John, thanks so much for having me. Uh, Tom, you're actually doing a little world travel right now, aren't you? I am. Yeah, I'm in uh, Kailua in uh, Hawaii right now. Um, it, uh, I, I ended up finding out that I had no in-person exams. And so I figured, hey, I've got 10 days to kind of chill out. I might as well fly out to a buddy's house. So here I am just kind of relaxing, studying, doing a little bit of work and just enjoying myself. Absolutely wonderful. Perfect. You're going to be back for graduation though, right? Well, I'm, uh, I'm going to do my best, John. I'm flying the day before. So as long as uh, and, uh, my flights don't get delayed, I'll be there. Sounds good. Um, but we wanted to have you on because you are a, a very experienced world traveler. I wanted to have somebody on the show who could give our classmates some really great advice to maximize the quality of their summer travel when they start traveling. And uh, can you start by giving folks a little bit of your, maybe your travel resume and how many places you've been and how long you've been a world traveler? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, travel is without question my biggest passion in life. And anybody that's close to me knows that um, it's something that I'm constantly thinking about. And for the better part of a decade, actually closer to 12 years, um, I've been doing a ton of travel. I think in the last 12 years, I've probably spent five of them outside the United States with a backpack on. And um, I've made it to close to 80 countries, maybe 80 countries now. Uh, It's been a while. It's been a, a few months since I've counted. But um, you know, it's, it's just something that I love. It's something that I'm passionate about and I'm happy to be here to, to share, uh, any advice, any tips I can give, and maybe a couple funny stories for your audience. Have you hit every continent? I haven't done Antarctica, um, but it's on the list. Um, you know, a, a good, uh, a friend of mine, Jesse Thornburn, um, on my, on my core team had been down there and, um, I just thought it was so cool. Um, you can fly into Ushuaia down in Argentina and take a boat down there. And it's something that, I'd love to do, but it is just a little pricey. So I think it's about $10,000 sometimes, um, sometimes more, sometimes less. So it's definitely on the list, but not for a while. <laughs> well, people can can go to Antarctica about a year and a half from now when they've been working a little bit and have gotten their first annual bonus. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right. So let's start here with the, the sort of core travel advice that you have for people. And let's let's go through maybe some of the key pieces of advice. What's the, what's the most important piece of advice generally? And later in the show, we'll go into specific places that you've been that you might recommend and how to pick where to go. But generally speaking, what's the first piece of travel advice that you would give our listeners? My first piece of travel advice, I think, is find somewhere that you're really passionate about. Um, find somewhere that excites you because, you know, so much of traveling is waking up in the morning and just being excited to be there and finding things to do. But, you know, secondly, I think, and maybe the most important advice that I'll give on this show is do your research and do it 
thoroughly. Um, I can't tell you how many mistakes that I've made in my travels where if I had done a little bit more research, I would have found this really cool spot or I would have seen something that I wouldn't have seen or there's this dish or food that I really would have liked to try. And by the time I got home and realized it, I'd already missed it. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to focus on for this show specifically was just really practical hands-on advice for your audience. And so my kind of um, process in this is when I find a place that I want to go, my first step is kind of going to uh, Google Books, actually, because on there you can find previews of Lonely Planet's guides. Um, and here you can just read, you know, big overview of the country. You can get the history, the politics, um, you can get the highlights. Um, and after you kind of have a big kind of general overview of a country, I next kind of go into travel blogs. Um, and here's where you're going to get more of the off the beaten path um, places that aren't going to show up in a, you know, a, a classic book like Lonely Planet or something like that. Um, so do, you know, do your research, really read about what me, what, what matters to you. Um, if you're really into food, check out the food blogs. If you're really into nature, check out the, the, you know, the hiker blogs. Um, and so I can't stress enough, um, the more it will pay off in dividends, you know, the more research you do, the better. Um, and so after Lonely Planet and, you know, those classic books and the blogs, I typically go to, uh, my friends, um, and just try and network and figure out who's been there, um, because people are going to be your greatest resource. And, um, that's a, a theme I'm really going to, um, uh, nail down on this, on this podcast here is that people will be your greatest resource. So, you know, if you want to post up on Instagram, you know, any tips for this place, um, that would be, you know, my biggest recommendation there is, is do your research. Excellent. And I, having traveled a little bit and traveled with other people, I was always sort of, it was kind of sad to go someplace with people and have them have no real frame of reference for what they're looking at. You know, they look at these amazing things and they don't even know really what any of it means. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more. And it just adds to the experience, right? If you understand the history and, and, the, and the current political environment, um, things just become more meaningful and your experience just becomes that much better. Yeah. Um, so do your research. That's number one. Um, what about hiring a guide? Have you ever done that? Um, I haven't actually. It's, you know, I, I've heard some of the, you know, best travelers or more, most experienced travelers I've ever met talk about that. Um, I think it's an incredible thing to do. It's just, for me, I, I have a different style of, of travel. It's a little bit more freestyle, if you will. Um, hiring a guide is, is really good for, for one main reason, and that is it can be very difficult to penetrate uh, through cultural barriers um, if you don't have a, a local there to help you out. And so what a guide can do is really help you just get to know the culture in a way that you wouldn't have before. Um, and, you know, I've taken a lot of tours, you know, and, and in a way that's a guide, a, a form of a guide, if you will. Um, but yeah, my, my style is typically to just kind of show up and, you know, try and meet people, um, talk to locals. Um, but I'm also pretty extroverted and, you know, that's something that I really love. So if you're a little bit more introverted and, um, you know, maybe you don't have as much time to travel, a guy can really help you cut through some of that um, red tape. I have hired a guide one time when I went to Egypt, I hired a guide to take us around and it was a great decision in part because, and it depends on where you're going, right? A lot of our classmates are going to Europe where there's tons of mass transit. If you go to Dubai, you go to Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore, a lot of these places, they have great mass transit. It's easy to get around. You go to Egypt and 
it is not an easy place to get around. And it is real nice to have somebody who can take you and your group in the back of a van and take you where you need to go. And you don't even have to think about it because it's not like you can just hop on the subway. There's no subway in Cairo. Absolutely. Um, I totally agree. So I would say you're absolutely right. Do your research. And if your research shows it's going to be hard to get around, that might be the time to hire a guide. Definitely. Definitely. Cairo's a, Cairo's a pretty wild place, man. I, uh, I was there, uh, in the, um, Arab spring in 2011. And, uh, I had a really unique experience because I showed up, um, <laughs> and rode a horse named Michael Jackson to the, to the pyramids of Giza. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> and, you know, since, since the days of Mark Twain, they, you know, people have been bitching about how overcrowded the pyramids have been. And, and because of the Arab spring, I was literally one of 10 people in the entire area. So that was pretty fun. <laughs> Excellent. People in the time of Mark Twain complaining, there's too many people at the pyramids. Guys, just wait. <laughs> just yeah. wait. Doesn't get better. Yeah, um, no kidding. There's also a lot of um, like really nuts and bolts advice that you have. Things like buying a SIM card, getting travel right. insurance. Can you talk a little about the importance of these kinds of things? Definitely. Um, so buying a SIM card is something that I'd, I'd highly recommend, um, especially in today's world. Um, the internet has just made traveling so easy. You know, 10 years ago, it was a little bit more difficult. Um, but with a SIM card, you know, you can, you know, route places on your map, you can call an Uber, or whatever the local equivalent of Uber is. Um, you can call your hotel if something goes wrong. Um, I can't stress enough. It's just kind of an insurance policy. Um, and I think it's a really good idea to do. Um, you know, you do have to have your iPhone unlocked um, and that can be kind of a process, but I, I think it is worth it. Um, and on to your, your next point, which is travel insurance. Um, I, you know, I, I'm a pretty uh, big risk taker. I wouldn't say I'm a risk averse guy, but I buy travel insurance for every single trip. Um, you know, it can cost $30 and sometimes travel insurance for $30 will helicopter you out of the mountains, which would normally cost $300,000 or um, they can pay for a surgery. Um, I can't tell you how many travelers I've met along the way. I, I mean, just, you know, last year I met a dude uh, in Bali who got bit by a monkey <laughs> and he had like um, some disease and it cost him $5,000 out of pocket. And if he had travel insurance for $30, it would have been uh, just an additional $50. So, um, yeah, I think that the, those are really key points. Yeah. Um, and another point that you had that you, uh, cause you sent me an outline with all these, these tips and I want to go through them. Uh, sure. one of them that I think we don't have to spend a lot of time on, but folks make sure you know the COVID rules when you get your visa and you check in, you do not want to land in, you know, Brazil excited for your time in Rio de Janeiro and have the customs guy send you home because you didn't look up whether you needed a, a PCR test before you landed. Know the COVID rules or it's going to ruin your whole trip. Um, what are skip lagged and Skyscanner? Yeah. So, um, you know, people have asked me a lot, you know, how do you afford to, to travel so much? And I think you know, number one, I've just made it a priority. Um, I, you know, have not spent a lot of money on material things. Um, I'd much prefer experience in my life. But secondly, you know, I've been very diligent about, you know, really reducing my costs on certain things like flights and hotels. 
And two of my favorite websites out there, um, and I hope anybody who's listening writes this down. Um, Skyscanner.com is a, an aggregator for all the airlines. Um, and so you can just type in, you know, your, your home city and your destination, and it'll pull up a, just an assortment of different flights, um, you know, ranging from the cheapest um, to um, just the shortest. Um, and it's really helpful. Um, but you do have to keep in mind that the, not all airlines are actually able to get on that aggregator. For example, Southwest is a really hard block against yeah. it. So um, yeah, that's super important. And then the, the next one is um, is Sky, uh, excuse me, Skip Lagged. Um, and this one, this one's fascinating because you, basically this is more for domestic travel, but um, let's say for example, that you're trying to fly from Los Angeles to uh, Phoenix and flights are like $300 uh, from Southwest or you know United American. What Skip Lag will do is they'll search for um, destinations that are not Phoenix, but just happen to stop in Phoenix. And so you can get a flight to, let's say New York for a hundred bucks, but just get off in Phoenix um, if there's a, a, a layover there. Um, and so the, the only issue here is that you can't uh, bring a, a, you can't check your luggage. <laughs> you have to actually get off of the, the, the plane with all of your stuff or else your stuff's gonna end up in New York. Um, but this is a really interesting one, particularly for domestic travel that saved me a ton of money. Excellent. Kayak is another one like uh, Skyscanner that Definitely. will aggregate aggregate flights. Uh, and it, it's it's very helpful. I don't think I've ever booked anything through Kayak. So I hope that they're getting all the ad revenue because I've used them many times to know which airline to go to. Um, <laughs> what about what about airline miles? This is something that that I became a big a devotee of when I was in the SVC program in the army, because I traveled like 170 days a year around the United States. And um, so I racked up a lot of, a lot of airline miles. How do you manage airline miles? Do you have a airline that you're loyal to? Do you have multiple accounts? How do you navigate the alliances? How about that part? Gotcha. I'm probably, which is another way, which is another way that a lot of people pay for travel is they go and they get the travel credit cards. They rack up a bunch of miles and then they spend the miles. Oh, definitely. Um, so I'm probably the most disloyal uh, airline customer out there. Um, I have no loyalty. I mean, I used to love Virgin uh, Atlantic, but um, basically I just go with the cheapest option. Um, I've flown on God, every airline out there. Um, I do have some some points with, uh, you know, United and American and then Southwest, some of these guys that are, are more local, but, you know, I don't have established routes that I've been traveling on. And so um, I haven't really acquired too much. So I think uh, I think you'd have a lot more to say about that than I would, John. Um, yeah, my my only advice would be when you're going somewhere, I also just mostly pick the lowest flight minus the like spirit airways category. I just uncheck that box on. <laughs> I literally I go on kayak. I search my destination. And then as they're pulling it up, I just scroll down. It's like uncheck frontier, uncheck spirit, uncheck all the super discount airlines. And gotcha. um, basically, uh, whatever I end up picking, I make sure that I know what alliance they're a part of. And then I have a mileage number with all the major U.S. airlines and all the major U.S. airlines, Delta, United and American are in alliances. So if you fly Lufthansa, you can get United miles and then you can take those United miles and spend them in the future on any airline in that alliance, anywhere you want to go. So I've racked up a lot of miles with Alaska Airlines because Alaska 
Um, most of the airlines, they give you miles based on how much you spend. Alaska gives you miles based on how many miles you fly. And so gotcha. you rack up a lot of miles with Alaska very quickly. And so I'm saving up for first class tickets to Dubai. Nice. Which um, is a lot of is a lot of miles to get two first class tickets to Dubai, but Emirates is not in any alliance. And so the only way you can convert US airline miles to an Emirates ticket, last I checked, was to do it with uh, Alaska miles because Alaska is not in an alliance, but they have these separate partnerships. Um, anyway, make sure that you know what alliance the airline you're flying is and you can get miles on an American airline. And you shouldn't spend them on the American airline. You should spend them on overseas travel because domestic flights are a very low value way to spend points. The highest value way, if you were to like track in dollars, what you're getting is an international first class ticket. Because you can get like a $7,000 plane ticket for the equivalent of like $2,000 worth of points. Nice. That's good to Whereas know. Whereas you're spending like 2000 to get 2200 worth of miles if you fly domestic economy. Don't spend miles on domestic economy. Save them up. So that's my, that's my big airline mileage advice is know your alliance, have a number with all the domestic airlines. And bank those miles and then spend them on something big overseas. So that's my advice. That's about the limit of the good advice I can give. You've got all the other good advice. Um, <laughs> we'll see. Let's talk about the map. You've got a giant map. The, the listeners can't see it because this is a podcast, but you showed me this, this great map that you made in Google Maps. And can you describe a little bit what this map is and what you use it for? Yeah, sure. So I think it's super important that every time someone gives you a recommendation of, you know, a cool restaurant or a museum or even a national park um, to have a way to record that. Um, and sometimes I use Evernote, but this map that I have in front of me is color coded. So basically I have all the places in the world that I want to go. I think there's like 400 points on here. And then, uh, and th those are marked in blue. So it's a world map with just basically pins. And then um, in yellow, I've got the places that I want to go back or places that I wanna to recommend to people. So if someone comes to me and says, hey, John, I'm going to South Africa, I can pull up right now. Well, hey, you've gotta to go to Fix in Hermanus. It's my favorite bar in that region. Or, um, you know, Franschuk is one of my favorite little wine towns out there. And so it just makes it easy for me to not only keep track of where I wanna go, but um, also how to just give recommendations to other people. I made a, a similar map when I was in SVC and I put a little pin everywhere that I went and I found it was a great motivator to travel more because you get this compulsive desire to just put pins in more places. And it motivates <laughs> yeah. you. It motivates you to get out there and be like, haven't been here. Haven't been here. I want to put a pin here. Look at this big yeah. gap on the globe. I want to put a pin here. And you find ways to get out there. Definitely. And it's also helpful that I found when I'm actually in these countries to just keep top of mind the places that I wanted to go. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes we forget about, you know, our little lists and all that because we're just so excited in the moment. But if you have a map and it's attached to your Google Maps, um, it's hard to miss. Right. You have a big glaring pin right in your face. So um, it definitely helps just keep you organized as well. I want to backtrack because I forgot to ask you something about the SIM cards. Um, sure. The thing that I have usually done, and I'm interested in your perspective on whether this is 
whether the SIM card is just a better way to do it, or if you've ever tried it this way, a lot of cell carriers have international partners. It's usually Vodafone that they can put you on their international plan. And sometimes it's a little extra money, but it lets your network, it lets your SIM card access their network, I guess. Yeah. And then you can get on the Vodafone network in Germany or wherever you are. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of that just because of the price. Um, I yeah. just haven't seen any value there. Um, I'm with Verizon and I've just found that, you know, they're charging me $10 a day uh, to be internationally where I could buy a SIM for 10 bucks in the last, you know, a couple months, honestly. So in yeah. some countries at least. And so I try and avoid that, but you know, you do have to be careful, right? If you're traveling during work or you have important things that can be highly effective. So um, I think that um, when, you, yeah, when you, when you have something serious and you're not just on vacation, that's definitely a good option. Yeah. And I guess it probably depends on the duration of the trip too. Oh, for sure. Definitely. You know, if you're, if you're going to go to England for five days versus I'm going to get a URL pass and spend six weeks going through the European union. Um, other pieces of advice. What about yeah. where to, what about where to stay? So, you know, for me, it really depends on, what your type of vacation will be, right? If you're going to go to kind of a, a luxury destination and you just want to sit on the beach and chill out and power to you, you know, we've all been working hard. You know, I would recommend definitely splurging because you're going to be spending a lot of time in your hotel or at least your resort or wherever you're going to be. Um, but for me personally, when I'm traveling, a really good way to just save money and cut down on costs is just by choosing really cheap accommodation. You know, my philosophy is it just has to be clean, convenient and safe and and also it's if you're spending time in your hotel um while you're traveling i i think that you're doing it wrong and so for me a, a hotel is is just a place to crash um unless of course you know you're going the hostel route where it's more than just a place to stay it's kind of an environment to to communicate with other travelers and swap stories and kind of get advice and just have a good time meet people yeah the hostel is an interesting idea because you know, as we get older I think we feel a little bit of a pressure not to stay in the hostel. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm done with hostels personally. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think it's great for your twenties and it's just, it's a, it's a great way to meet people. And I, I found that, you know, in my, in my thirties and late twenties, you know, what I would do is stay in kind of a hotel and then kind of go to the hostel bars just to kind of interact with people and see what's going on. Um, you kind of get the best, best of both worlds. You get a nice place to sleep without crazy partying going on, but you also get to interact with some of the people and, you know, swap stories and everything. Uh, well, speaking of bars, you had a line in your, the written material that we, I had you put together for the pre-show that I loved. You said bars are the museums of now. <laughs> yes. that's. Uh, Tell me more that's about what you mean. You know, I wrote that down and, and I feel passionately that, um, people are sort of the, the key to your experience a lot of times. And I think the best way to, to enter a culture is, is through the people, right? And so where else are you going to meet people? <laughs> um, I find that a bar is a pretty inclusive place most of the time um, to just strike up a conversation and get to know people. Um, and, you know, you'd be surprised how much people love talking about their culture and just want to share with you, you know, their land and what they love. And for me, it's it's just uh, it's been a tremendous thing uh, to to meet locals, um, and that's of course you know second to uh, actually having somebody 
uh, take you around, you know, um, I had an incredible experience of uh, two classmates, you know, the first was uh, going um, to India with Abhi, we uh, spent some time in Hyderabad. And it was such an incredible experience to be able to, to get into Indian culture. I mean, it's just such a vibrant and rich culture. And I never in my million years would have been able to experience something like that without him. And, and second was um, Alan, we went down to uh, the Baja Peninsula. And it was just so clutch to have somebody that spoke the language, had been there, was very comfortable interacting. And we just had a culinary experience that I never would have got without him. Let's talk a little bit about the language, because I think the language can be a major barrier to people enjoying themselves. And you've been to 80 countries. Um, you probably don't speak the languages of 80 different countries, although it's not 80 different languages. Some of those are are all speaking the same language. But how do you get through the language barrier in a place where you don't really know the language, but you've decided you want to go there uh, and you want to be able to communicate along the way? Sure. I think I think learning just a bit of the language really goes a long way. Um, people really appreciate it. Um, I think it, there's a certain arrogance that is typically associated with Americans, you know, walking down the streets of Munich and just coming up to, to somebody and being like, hey, where is this? Um, I think it's, it's important just to, to, to know the basis. Excuse me. Where is this? Um, thank you. Um, things like that. And people appreciate it. And when they see that you're making an effort, they're going to make an effort with you. Um, and so that's so important. And um, second, second point and more of a practical tip here is Google Translate's amazing. Um, I was just down in Bolivia and I had my SIM card in, so I had internet and I was communicating with people just through Google uh, Translate. I would just type in my question. It would pop up in Spanish. They'd be able to understand. They'd respond in Spanish. It'd pop up in English. And so that's just a really good way to, to kind of get over um, some of those cultural barriers. When you say that Americans are arrogantly walking down the streets of foreign countries and asking where things are, the listeners can't hear this, but my eyes are ner nervously darting side to side because you're talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. I don't speak the language. Right, right. So, and I, I always find that I never have time or I never feel like I have time. I always tell myself, oh, I'm going to get on Duolingo before I go here. And then I never do. Right, right. Um, I got gotcha. you. But at least I, I do speak the one language that just huge numbers of people around the world in every country speak. Yeah. And, you know, John, the other the other point I want to make is that, you know, so much of communication is nonverbal. Yeah. And people can really pick up on, you know, positive energy and smiling and just being like open. Um, I think that that's so important. Just I've had conversations with people just through, you know, communicating with my hands and my eyes before. And we kind of understood each other. Um, and so. I think it, 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 you just have to, you know, definitely keep keep track of your, you know, things like that. Um, it's all it's not all just about verbal language. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about money and how to handle money when you're overseas. Right. You know, I think that the the best way to do it is just, you know, make sure that you have, you know, your your ATM cards and you need two of them because if you lose your wallet, you're going to need a backup. There's nothing worse than getting stuck. Uh, in a country after you've lost your wallet and have no other financial means to get around. It's just a disaster. It's so stressful. It's going to cost you an extra couple of days of your vacation. So I recommend keep your wallet and then keep another card separately in maybe a different bag. Um, and then also, you know, there, there's credit cards that have no fees um, and associated with international purchases. So, um, but 
you know, typically what I'll do is is just go to the uh, ATMs in the airport and pull out money there. I think most people do that. Um, I think that they have the lowest fees typically. Um, I, I've never used, you know, like MoneyGram or Western Union or anything like that. But um, I will recommend that just as a backup, you do bring um, several hundred dollars in American currency. Um, it's just so important to have as a backup in case something happens. And it's a currency that no matter where you go, people will take it almost anywhere. <laughs> Right, exactly. You know, and, and frankly, a lot of times they're happier to get American dollars than their actual currency sometimes, depending on where you are. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make definitely. it doesn't make it doesn't make a difference in France, but if you go to like when when we went to um Egypt, it was like, hey man, if you, you got some dollars you can tip me with, that's even better. <laughs> right, right. And, um, and, I mean, and know the exchange rate, guys. My dad <laughs> I went to Cartagena for a couple of days and uh, my parents got jealous and they were like, Oh, you're going to Cartagena. We wish we were going to Cartagena. And I was like, yeah, I, I bet you do. Cause it's great. Um, and, <laughs> and they were like, uh, can we come? And I was like, man, I don't know. This is a trip you take with your parents. And I was kind of hemming and hawing and they were like, what if we paid for everything? And I was like, this is great. You can definitely come. This is fantastic. Absolutely. A trip I would take with my parents. Um, and we get to the the, uh, the Cartagena airport and we're getting a cab to get to our hotel. And my dad basically bought a guy a house by tipping him way, way, way too much. <laughs> oh, no. He, he just had the decimal like two points off to the side and messed up the exchange rate. I think he tipped him like the equivalent of like $700 to carry our bags to a taxi. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, man. So get the exchange rate, do it in your, do it in your head. Uh, whatever you did to prep for your consulting interviews, rocket blocks, do a little bit of that to make sure you get the exchange rate down. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. All right. Um, another piece of advice you had was travel solo. Yeah. I, I can't stress this enough, John. I hope, you know, this is one thing that, you know, your audience is taking from this is that travel isn't always supposed to be fun. Um, it's not always supposed to be, um, you know, fun and games and things like that. It, it, it's really for me. And I think a lot of other people, you know, about personal development and I think traveling alone will probably scare the shit out of you. Um, but the thing is, is that you're going to grow as a person. Um, you're going to have to learn to be outgoing you're going to have to learn to be more personable because we're social creatures and we need to hang out with people. And so by putting yourself out there, you're really going to force yourself to develop skills that you may or may not already have. Um, and so I just think some of the best experiences I've had and some of the best friends that I've made in this life have been because I traveled solo. And if I was with friends, maybe I wouldn't have you know, made such an effort to kind of get to know other people. So um, I think that everybody in their life needs to do this. It's just such a, it's, it's such a, such an opportunity. Um, and, you know, my philosophy in life in general is just, Hey, if, if something scares you, that means you should probably do it. Well, it reminds me of a, a quote by Anthony Bourdain. And like I was telling you, I was trying to find an audio of this quote um, to play out the end of the podcast and do the outro. But since you've, you've brought this up, I'm just going to read this incredible quote that is right along the lines of what you're saying. He said, I'm a big believer in winging it. I'm a big believer that you're never going to find the perfect travel experience or the perfect meal without a constant willingness to experience a bad one. Letting the happy accident happen is a lot of what vacation itineraries miss. 
I think. And I'm always trying to push people to allow those things to happen rather than stick to some rigid itinerary. Oh my gosh. I, I, John, that's like, I, I, it's, it couldn't encapsulate, you know, how I feel about traveling as well. Um, I think some of the biggest mistakes that people make is, you know, I'm going to fly to this place and five days later, I've already had a, you know, pre-booked flight out of there. Um, and just sticking to this rigid itinerary, you're just going to miss so many opportunities. My, my biggest advice is to have a light structure and ideas of where you'd like to go and then just kind of take every day a day at a time um you're going to meet people that you know maybe will are going to some that's you know some beach uh, a couple days away you're like hell let's go um but if you have that flight that's already pre-booked you're going to feel obligated to get on it and so i think it's just it's so important to just be open to new experience and just being kind of you know able to pull an audible so to speak um i i would say the 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 best travel experiences i've had ever have been unplanned. Um, and so, yeah, I, guys, I really, I really hope that, you know, you just kind of take it every day at a time and, and with a loose, loose structure. And I, I think your advice about traveling solo is so spot on. I've done that. And um, it's not, it's not the way you should do every vacation, but I think it is important to do some vacations solo because what you're talking about with the spontaneity it's so much easier when you don't have to negotiate it with five people. So true. You know, you wake up at four in the morning and you're like, Hey, I want to get the hell out of here. And there's a bus. Right. At five. Boom. There you right. go. Yeah. Um, you know, I had uh, a trip to Israel that I was going to do with a friend and I'm no longer friends with this person for this among other reasons, but the two days before we're going to take off, he bails on the trip and it's like, Oh, well, you know, I just got this opportunity, this, this new client, we're going to take this case to trial. And it's like, you're going to bail on a trip to Israel for a couple hundred extra billable hours. What is wrong with you? But he did. And so what happened? Well, we had an itinerary that we had worked out together and I, Suddenly, I'm landing in Israel, and what am I doing on the plane? I'm paying for the plane Wi-Fi to rework the itinerary, and I had a better time <laughs> making it up on the fly than I ever would have had negotiating an itinerary with this guy who probably I shouldn't have been traveling with in the first place. Definitely. Sounds like a blessing in disguise. It definitely was. It definitely was, and I had an amazing time in Israel and went into the West Bank and floated in the Dead Sea and saw all these incredible historic places and he wanted to go and do like beach stuff in Eilat. And, and, that was, and look, I have no problem with going snorkeling in the, in the Red Sea. That's great. But it wasn't really what I wanted. And I got to make up as I went along my own itinerary. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, this, this reminds me. I do have another piece of travel advice before we go. Speaking of research and my trip to Israel, Google what the national holidays are before you go someplace. For example, look up what the national holidays in Israel are in the first two weeks of October. So you are not (laughs) there during Yom Kippur and walking around Tel Aviv like it's a ghost town in I Am Legend. That's funny. <laughs> I'm literally walking around in an abandoned city. There is not a single person on. No one's walking their dog. It was unbelievable. 
That's incredible. And I was like, well, guess today is an intermittent fasting day because there's nowhere that's serving food. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Um, but yeah, I, I've had a hotel on the beach. I just went out on the beach, swam around in the Mediterranean, came back and was hungry and walked around an empty city and took pictures of this bizarre empty city that looked like it had been wiped out by a neutron bomb. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah you know, so, you've got an experience that a lot of people don't though. So there's a positive side there. I mean, I, yeah. I've never walked through a city that like, you know, uh, Tel Aviv, especially an incredible place, by the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was just completely deserted. That sounds crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So speaking of places, let's talk about some specific places and let's, let's start with sort of how do you decide where to go? Uh, our classmates are going to have some vacation time, mostly between the middle of March and the end of July. That seems to be where most people are. Start dates are in mostly August and September, some in late July. Uh, so what do you look at when you're deciding where to travel when really the criteria you're given are you have a block of time when you can go somewhere and then you right. have to decide where you're going to go with that given block of time. Gotcha. So I think number one is just deciding or, or realizing how much time you have, right? If you have a week or if you have, you know, around that, you're not gonna wanna travel all the way to Nepal, right? It's a 25 hour flight sometimes, um, that just doesn't make sense. But if you have three weeks, 25 hour flights, very doable, right? So I think number one is just kind of figuring out how much time you have and then kind of figuring out how long it's gonna take to these to get to these places and how much time you're willing to spend on an airplane. Um, I think the next is is really, kind of just realizing what season you're in. Um, timing is everything in travel. Um, there's been places, for example, Ethiopia that I've been dying to go to, but I really only want to go in October because that's when it's just going to be vibrant green in the north in the Simeon Mountains where I can do some trekking. And so I think it's so important to just time things on uh, on the season. And, you know, you don't want to go some, you know, a beach holiday and it's just going to be cloudy the whole time, right? right. Um, so you got to pay attention to the weather. Um, these are so important, can't be overstated. Um, and then, you know, you kind of, you have to look at your budget, right? I mean, traveling and, and vacations, there's just such a spectrum of what you're looking at. I mean, if you want to go to, uh, have a beach vacation, um, there's a big difference between flying down to, uh, you know, uh, Puerto Escondido or flying to, um, Bora Bora. Um, so you just kind of have to reel in, be realistic about, um, you know, what, what your budget is, what you're capable of and, and make a decision from there. And, and I think the last thing is kind of just figuring out what type of vacation do you want? You know, do you want to, you know, sit in a lawn chair and chill out by the beach all day and read some books and relax, maybe have a couple of cocktails in the evening, or do you want a fun adventure? Um, because there's countries that do, you know, sometimes both those things very well, but there's countries that are not really built for a proper, you know, rest and relaxation vacation. And they're much more about, um, adventuring. Right. So that, uh the time thing is critical, right? If you have four days to be in a country, maybe don't pick some place that you're going to get to day four and you know, you're going to wish you had two more weeks. Definitely. Definitely. You know, like Hong Kong, Singapore, a lot of places you can do in three or four days and be like, that was great. I had a great time coming home. You know, right. if you go to Italy and you're there for four or five days, you're just going to be it's it's like the old joke that you're always hungry after you eat Chinese food. You know, you're just <laughs> you're just going to be hungry for more Italy. You're going to be like, man, I wish it was still in Italy. It's so much more Italy to, to cover. 
You know what, John? I think though, with uh, Italy specifically, you could do three months and still want more. So <laughs> that's about right. That's true. Um, season is another critical factor that you put down in your criteria. The season that you're going. Talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. I mean, I think that it's just it's it's like I'll, I'll tailor it to our audience because we're talking about the summer here. You're not going to want to go down and do hiking in Patagonia right now. It's in the dead of winter. It's going to be freezing cold. <laughs> and that's kind mm -hmm. of an obvious example of, you know, what not to do. Um, for example, you know, there are places that are just booming in the summertime that are just beautiful. You know, Greece comes to mind, um, Croatia. Um, but in the summertime, are you really going to want to go to Madrid? Uh, it's going to be so freaking hot, you know. Um, and same with Rome, it's going to be super muggy, you know, uh, it's better to hit Madrid and, and, and Rome more in the springtime when it's a little bit more temperate. Plus, you have to also factor in um, tourist season, not just weather, right? Um, you know, certain places are just packed during the summer and it kind of kills the experience because there's so many tourists that you're not able to penetrate the culture or you're not able to have these experiences with locals because they're overwhelmed or they're even just working too much. Yeah. That's that's one of the things that when I think about where I want to go this summer, the first place that popped into my head was Morocco. And then mm. I realized I realized, no, I'm not going to Morocco in July. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not actually going to do that. Um, yeah, 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 that's why yeah, I went. to. Yeah, that's why I went to oh, Egypt in February. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, North Africa is pretty steamy. Um, Marrakesh uh, with those tanneries is going to, you know, not be the best smelling place either. <laughs> in right. The summer. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, at least it's an authentic experience. Oh, definitely. definitely. <laughs> um, what are some other places that, because there are places in the Southern hemisphere that you want it to be winter when you go there. Definitely. Um, I, you know, it's, it's, I think that somewhere like Rio de Janeiro comes to mind. Um, mm. I think that that's just such an incredible place. Um, so vibrant. The people are so warm um, and the weather is also very warm. So if you're going to go during their summer, I mean, you're going to walk outside and, need, you know, for five minutes and need a shower, you'll be drenched. Right. Yeah. Um, some people some people love that. Some people don't. Um, so I think, you know, hitting hitting some of these cities, especially along the equator during the wintertime can definitely be a good call. Um, you know. You've been to Cartagena. I think you know a little bit about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, folks, when you're going to places near the equator, you may think, well, you know, it's basically the same season all year round. There's no real winter. There's no real summer. It's always going to be kind of hot, uh, but not, you know, it's not going to be better if you go in the winter. Remember, though, a lot of these places, they have a not a summer and a winter. They have a dry season and a wet season. Watch out for the wet season. You may fly, point. you may fly somewhere and be rained on for an entire week straight because you went there during a goddamn monsoon because you didn't look up because <laughs> you didn't look up what the wet season was. <laughs> John, that's an excellent piece of advice. Um, I have I have so far not made that mistake, but you know, uh, taken largely a break from travel due to COVID. As we go through this conversation, I'm remembering all the stuff I used to know but had forgotten. Like, oh yeah, seasons matter. Oh yeah. Um, and then uh, let's talk about some specific places. Yeah, definitely. So, so where do you want to start? We got we got a lot of places around the world. You want a continent? You want to start on? 
Um, yeah, we could go by continent for sure. I mean, we, we jumped into Europe. I think a lot of our um, classmates are going to be going to Europe. I mean, I think summertime in Europe is a magical place. Um, it's also a very touristic place, but it's, it's incredible. Um, and there's a reason that everyone goes. And so, um, you know, some of my favorites at least, and you know, you really can't go wrong. I'll be honest with you, anywhere you go, you're going to find yeah. something fun to do. I mean, Europe is, is such a destination for, for a reason. Um, it's easy to travel. There's great infrastructure, incredible food. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a very similar culture to, to us out here in the U S. Um, but some of my favorites, um, Croatia comes to mind. Um, I've been there a couple of times. Um, Split specifically is one of my favorite little little cities. Um, it's just a magical little place. Uh, Diocletian's Palace is there, but there's also just an energy in the air of people just really enjoying themselves. Um, but I really want to highlight if anyone's going to uh, Croatia this summer, you have to go to this place called Plitvice Lakes. That's P-L-I-T-V-I-C-E Lakes. Um, this place will change your life. It's uh, it's shocking that it's even on planet Earth. Um, it's in the middle of this forest and it's basically these lakes that are just turquoise blue like you've never quite seen before with just beautiful waterfalls all throughout it. Um, I went with my brother back in 2012 and we were just sort of in awe. Um, and so definitely make make sure you get out there. Um, Havar is another just beautiful island right there. Obviously Dubrovnik. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I like to think of Croatia as you know, there's two periods in, in travel history with Croatia. There's pre Game of Thrones and there's post Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> I went in, I went in 2012 and it was you know still sort of off the beaten path. Um, and then I went after Game of Thrones and woof, um, very different experience. So just keep yeah. looking out for that. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely. And Dubrovnik, you know, if you want to park a yacht, I think there's some uh, some extra places to. <laughs> There's some extra places to park it these days because I think some of those yachts are no longer in the uh, in the possession of their original owners, if you know what I mean. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, John, real quick, I just wanted to highlight a couple of things that I think would be interesting um, that may not be on your audience's um, kind of radar. Um, uh, San Fermin, uh, Running with the Bulls, it's happened in July in Pamplona. Um, I've done it. It is an incredible experience. Um, I ran with the bulls a couple times. I, I ended up in the arena, um, just getting run over by these bulls, man. I ended up tearing my ACL. It's pretty bad, but, um, there's still just a huge party, um, and amazing fireworks. And it's just, a you know, there's nobody that knows how to party better than the Spaniards. Um, so I would definitely put that on your radar if you're going to be in the area in July. And the, uh, uh, second in Spain is this uh, event called La Tomatina. Um, and basically... Um, this is a, in a town called Buñol, just outside of Valencia. And what happens is these huge uh, gondolas full of tomatoes are pulled into the middle of this town. And everybody just has this crazy tomato fight. I mean, you have to wear goggles because you are just covered. It is insane. Um, so if that's uh, if you're looking for a little excitement, a little something to do a little different, that'll be in August. That's excellent. And And this is another, it sort of relates to the seasonal point that, you know, if you have something that you are interested in doing uh, that is seasonally related. So for example, uh, I went to Japan a couple of years ago and I made sure that my trip would align with the Grand Sumo Tournament, which oh, they do. Cool. They do six tournaments a year. Uh, it's an ongoing circuit. It's like the 
the major events in golf or tennis. It's not one tournament per year like March Madness, um, but every two months. So we've got one at the end of this month, by the way, and they've got one in July. Uh, at the end of this month, it's in Tokyo. And in July, it's in Nagoya. And it's one of the best experiences I've ever had. We, we went wow. there and I knew basically nothing about sumo. And we go there and you learn the rules basically by watching and just seeing who wins <laughs> and how they win. And then they get to the end and there were two guys who had the uh, Yokozuna title. And this third guy beat both of them back to back at the end of the tournament. And I Googled it later. And this guy after that tournament got the title of Yokozuna. Like he was a guy who was close to being a Yokozuna. And we basically watched him get crowned a Yokozuna. And when you beat a Yokozuna, everybody in the stands, you're on these like, uh, they're almost like folding chairs with detachable seat cushions. Everybody picks up their seat cushion and throws them in the air towards the ring, <laughs> like throwing your hat in the rink when somebody in hockey gets a hat trick. And so everybody throws their seat cushion towards the ring. And then the guy turns around and does it again. It beats another Yokozuna. And we're all standing around like, anybody got any seat cushions left? We got, we got no <laughs> seat cushions left. It was a lot of fun. So there's a ton of things like that that you can look up and just go to a country at that time of year and just like Google around. But so it, it cool. goes it goes to your research point. You find these things when you really do actual research. Definitely, definitely. Um, what about the rest of Europe? Amsterdam is a place that you highlighted that I'm interested in going this year. A truly beautiful city and a truly beautiful country. Uh, tell me a little bit about Amsterdam. You know, I um, I dated this amazing Dutch girl um, in my late teens, early twenties, um, and she was Dutch. And so I got to experience the Netherlands in a way that, you know, few people will get to. I've, I've been there probably, you know, seven or eight times and spent, you know, months and months. And, you know, again, that just goes back to the point that when you have a local that shows you around, it's just that much better. Right. Um, and Amsterdam and just the Netherlands in general um, are just the people there are just so open minded and so friendly. And Amsterdam is just beautiful. You know, it gets a bad rap for like, not necessarily a bad rap, but it gets a, you know, reputation for, you know, the red light district and, you know, uh, you know, cannabis, of course. But there's so much more to that city than that. I mean, just beautiful canals, great food. Um, so I just think it's a very interesting city. Um, and, and um, it, it, you know, again, it, it sort of just, it, it got a reputation that is, is undeserving, in my opinion. Yeah. So a lot of our classmates, we know they're going to Europe. And we know the big name countries in Europe that everybody goes to, but there's a lot of places in the rest of the world that are maybe off the beaten path a little bit, but they have a lot to offer. And you've been to a lot of them. When you go to 80 mm. countries, you do get off the beaten path and uh, go to a lot of interesting places. And there are a couple of places on this list that you sent me that I wanted to ask you about. One of them is Sri Lanka. Yeah. You know, here's the thing, John, I was supposed to go to Sri Lanka over the winter and I put this down because everybody that I've met that has been there has just spoken so highly about it. And so I, I didn't want to just put places that I've been. I wanted to put places that uh, other people have been there that I trust. And, um, you know, Lonely Planet made Sri Lanka, I think, the country of the year in 2019. Um, I've just heard that it's absolutely gorgeous. The people are nice. The weather's incredible. Um, you can kite surf out there. You can go uh, blue whale watching, um, you know, 
amazing food, right? And so uh, I just, I wanted to put that in there as a place that I'd like to go as well. Yeah, and they, um, for the animal lovers, they have an elephant orphanage where you can oh, just wow. like walk around with elephants and you just like walk up to elephants and hang out with elephants. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I think they've got one in Thailand. There's a couple of places where they have them, but Sri Lanka has one of the best ones and, and they just ended a civil war a couple of years ago. So it's relatively safe to go there again. Um, some of these other out of the way places on your list, are there any that kind of stand out as the most interesting that you would want to highlight? Yeah, definitely. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the off the beaten path, uh, off the beaten path countries, just because um, these might not be places that are on your radar. Um, a couple years ago, I went to Guatemala um, with a very, very good friend of mine that I grew up with. And we got motorcycles and just rode around the countries. And I've got to tell you, this is got to be the closest hidden gem to the United States that, that I can think of. Um, it's relatively easy to get there. So I want to give you a couple quick highlights of this country. So Antigua um, is a really cool little uh, little colonial town. Um, our classmate, uh, Eric Nessie, is uh, pretty familiar with it. Um, and it's just beautiful. There's a vibe there that is really hard to describe. It's just people are friendly. There's good food. Um, but one of the coolest things that I did in that country was uh, hike up Mount Akatenengo. And so Akatenengo is directly next to this uh, mountain called Mount Fuego. And as you might imagine, this thing explodes every 30 minutes. And so you're on this huge volcano right next to this other one that is exploding all the time. And um, at, at night is just a, a, you know, it is one of the most amazing things that you've ever seen. Just huge lava exploding into the air. Um, it was just one of my favorite experiences. Um, so I, I'd recommend that. It's a great, it's a great adventure country. Um, in addition to, to, to those two places, um, uh, to call um, just some incredible, um, you know, uh, Amerindian ruins. Um, they're just gorgeous. Yeah. Vietnam is on this list. That's a, that's oh, a country definitely. that, that Anthony Bourdain, speaking of Anthony Bourdain, he, uh, I think Vietnam, he said was his favorite country to travel to. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Vietnam is also my favorite travel, uh, country to travel to. So that's, uh, that makes me feel good. Um, you know, what's funny is I'm going there next week. So um, yeah. I did, I did a trip um, when I was uh, six years ago, actually what's so interesting, it was actually on the exact date, May 14th that I flew out and I'm flying exactly six years later on May 14th. Um, it is just, it has everything that you want. It has incredible food, nice people that have no business being nice to us. Um, mountain scenery that will change your life. Um, I, I did a motorcycle trip by myself um, up through the northern mountains along um, the Hazong region uh, through Mayovac and Dongvang. So this is along the border with southern China. And there is just scenery that will change you. Um, after that after that trip, I, you know, I, I legitimately thought to myself, if someone told me I had five days left to live in the world, I'd probably spend four of them out there. Yeah. Indonesia is on this list. Indonesia, a gigantic place i don't think people in the united states have any idea how big indonesia actually is not 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 only um geographically but population wise as well i mean it's one of the largest countries in the world i think there's you know close you know well over 200 million people there um it yeah, is it I is the a, it is the fourth largest population in the world behind china india and the united states yeah it is and you know what it's it, and good for it good for them because it's a it's a beautiful place um 
I wanted to specifically focus on the island of Java, which is directly west of Bali. You know, Bali in and of itself is basically its own country with Indonesia. Um, it's, uh, you know, a uh, different religion. Um, and but Java is so special to me because there is this place called um, it's a volcano called Mount Lejeune. And you have to wear a gas mask because there's so much sulfur fuming off of this. But you can actually climb up to the top of the volcano and then climb down into the volcano. And at night, the sulfur's on fire. So you see this really nebulous uh, purple flame everywhere. It looks like something out of a science fiction movie, um, but that's really cool. But yeah, you need a, you need a gas mask, um, but it's just like one of those interesting things that nobody knows about, um, but it's just stunning. Um, and, and not too far away is, is Mount Bromo, um, which is a, another volcano, uh, look, uh, maybe inactive, but um, just a stunning, stunning place. You know, Java looks like something out of prehistoric times, in my opinion. So if you're looking for adventure, if you're looking for something a little off the beaten path, and frankly, if you're in Bali and want to take a quick trip to do something a little different, I highly recommend it. We got to circle back to Vietnam because I forgot to ask you about eating snake. Oh, yeah. You know, for all the animal lovers out there, I'm really sorry about this one. Um, but, you know, it's it's my philosophy is it's not my culture. Um, it, you know, I, I'm not here to judge culture, right? When I show up to a place, I, I leave my judgments behind and I integrate, right? And a, a delicacy in Vietnam is to eat um, cobras. And so I went to this, you know, cobra farm and I picked out a snake and they um, sliced open uh, around the heart and took out its beating heart and gave it to me and put it in my hand while it's still beating. And I swallowed it and you know you can't chew on it because the poison will knock you out i don't think it'll kill you but it'll knock you out you have to eat it whole um and then uh you know we drank you know the blood from the snake i drank the the, the bile uh from the pancreas um and they create they um cooked about an eight course meal for us so it was a a really interesting culinary experience it's definitely not for everyone and you know apologies to the animal lovers who you know are, are, are not happy with this but um it was it was fantastic um i don't think i'd do it again it's more of a novelty thing um but yeah yeah for the animal lovers maybe stick to sri lanka and the elephant farm just just, <laughs> just go pet an elephant and and it will soothe you and just forget about the snake story but for everybody else go eat a snake um <laughs> Zanzibar is on this list. This is a place that maybe people have heard the name and actually have no idea what it is or where it is or what its history is, but it's a very interesting place in its own right. Definitely. Um, just Tanzania in general is just an amazing place. Um, I, you know, through, you know, again, diligent research came up with a really good two week itinerary. Um, and so I did a safari in the Serengeti and Ngorogoro crater. Uh, and then climbed up Mount Kilimanjaro and then um, finished up the trip in Zanzibar. And what's interesting about Zanzibar is it's kind of its own independent, uh, you know, entity within T uh, Tanzania. And I think you, it sounds like you know a little bit more about that than me, but um, you've got, it's a really interesting island, incredible history, especially in the spice trade um, and beautiful white sand beaches or surfing, there's kite surfing, there's um, just fantastic food. Um, and here's a place in Africa where there is um, some infrastructure, particularly up in the north near Nungui, 
Um, you've got, you know, if you're looking for just a, a, a R&R uh, vacation, you can stay at, you know, Hilton and, and stuff like that, which is interesting for uh, sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, Zanzibar is, um, I think it was not originally part of the colony that became what is most of Tanzania. Because I think Tanzania was Tanganyika, which was German East Africa, and mm. Zanzibar was part of Oman. It was the Sultanate of Oman and Zanzibar. And somehow Zanzibar got lumped in with the colony of Tanganyika, and then they unified and became Tanzania. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think it's it's a predominantly Muslim island in a predominantly not Muslim country. It's a predominantly Christian country, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there is some uh, definitely uh, Muslim influence on the mainland, but certainly Zanzibar is very Muslim. Yeah. Um, Cuba is on this list. Have you actually been to Cuba? I've always wanted to go to Cuba, and I'm very sure that my uh, security manager for the military reserve would not be happy with me going to Cuba. <laughs> you know, I put this on this list under some places where if you just want to have like a relaxing vacation, it's a good place to go. Um, here's the thing. Uh, you need, you're going to need, you can't fly directly from the U S right. Um, they right. are, um, so you'll probably want to fly into Cancun and from Cancun go in. But, um, the reason I put this on the list is because my brother, um, raved about it. And I've met other people that have raved about it. Um, you've got obviously old town Havana with all these unique old cars because of the embargo, right? They've had to just makeshift all these 1950s automobiles. Um, and it just, uh, it, you know, you've got uh, fantastic cigars, obviously, um, wonderful mojitos, um, great beaches, particularly in, uh, you know, Vinales and some of these other spots. So, um, again, you know, you have all my lists. I think you picked like two or three that I've, I haven't been to out of all of them, which is really interesting. But, um, yeah, I, I, I can recommend it because people I trust recommend it. Well, I, I sure can pick them. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I kind of assume you've been to 80. I, I kind of was like, oh, he's probably been to all of these places. He's probably been everywhere. Yeah, um, I, try, I try and keep, you know, the close ones like Cuba in for like my uh, future work vacations um, because it's uh, a, it, I try and go really far when I'm traveling. And so there's a lot right in the Caribbean that I've never been to. Um, right. So. Mm. Um, Jamaica is on this list. You have a great story about Jamaica, right? <laughs> I do. I do. Um so <laughs> hopefully I don't get in trouble for this one, but um, I was uh, there's, traveling. there's no there's no jurisdiction here for any American prosecutor to bring charges for anything that happened in Jamaica. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, my mom doesn't get too mad at me, but um, <laughs> I was uh, I was in uh, a, a beautiful beach called Negril. And this was peak COVID in June of 2020. And I was down there to kind of get away from, you know, the dense population of San Francisco and just kind of chill out. I was doing a lot of scuba diving, a lot of spear fishing, and just kind of minding my own business alone. And I was kind of getting itchy feet, looking for something to do. And I read that um, Bob Marley's grave was over in, you know, 11 mile or seven mile, um, a village about three hours away. And, you know, the infrastructure was pretty brutal, especially during that time. Um, so I rented a a taxi and um this guy's name was shinehead because <laughs> he's bald and uh yeah he, he rocked it he was cool with it so shinehead uh promised me that bob marley's grave would be open 
and I'd be able to go pay my respects to one of the greatest, you know, musicians of our time. Right. And so I took this three hour uh, ride all the way to, you know, the village that he grew up in and boom, it's closed. Right. <laughs> of course. And I was like, shine head, come on, man, what's going on? You know, like, but I was super cool about it. And I was really positive. I was like, Hey man, like, no worries. Like you can have known whatever, no problem. Um, the guys were really cool. So they took me on a little uh, tour of this uh, marijuana farm and, you know, I don't smoke, uh, you know, marijuana. So it, it was just interesting to kind of see how it's grown. You know, I have a, you know, somewhat of a bitter, bitter cultural background. So it was interesting. Um, but you know, on the way back from this little farm, we passed by the grave again and Shinehead goes, man, wait till one moment. <laughs> like, uh Oh, and he's talking to some crazy old guy right at the front door. And he comes back and he goes, Tom, I, you know, I really appreciate you being, you know, so chill about driving all the way out here and not be able to go in. Um, I just talked to the guy that's at the front door and he says, um, you can come in, but just so you know, um, Bob Marley's whole family is there. <laughs> so I walk in, I'm, you know, I'm this like, you know, just American dude walking in and I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. And I walk up to the grave and sure, enough you know a bunch of his sons are there julian marley was there and he comes up to me and he goes respect brother <laughs> and the first thing he does is he hands me a blunt and <laughs> i told you i don't smoke pot it's not my thing but when julian marley hands you a blunt you fucking smoke that shit so <laughs> I, took <it. laughs> I took a hit you know is this hanging with the family you know swapping stories and just having a good time and um yeah, we left and I just thought it was a really fun experience to kind of hang out with Bob Marley's family. And um, again, I think, it, you know, this story sort of reinforces some of the points that I made earlier that, you know, with a positive attitude and just kind of taking things in stride, you know, so much as possible. One of your pieces of advice on here is say yes. So. Yes. Yeah, exactly. All right. We're coming up on uh, coming up a little bit on the time limits, which once again, I've blown right past. Um but I want to I want to do one more story, and I've got you've got four stories listed here. With <laughs> for the listeners, it's a list of countries with a cryptic one note telling us what the story <laughs> is, and there's four left we haven't covered. So I'm going to let Tom pick the best one. But here's what the here's what they are: Australia, one hundred dollars; Ukraine, <laughs> Ukraine, the hat; Zimbabwe visa. And Mozambique shark ball. So what's the <laughs> what's the best story out of these four? You know, I'm trying. And to people think. people will have to ask you what the other three are at Rock and Riley's after graduation. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wish that there was an audience and they could vote. Um, and I got to tell you, John, these are kind of uh, the stories that are appropriate for the podcast. So <laughs> try to keep things PG here because things can get wild when you're traveling for five years of your life. Let me tell you. Yeah. Um, let's see. You know. I think we haven't, let's see, the hat was a crazy one. Um, okay, I'll tell the hat one just because it's a, you know, online with just the crazy weirdness that my life has been. Um, so I'm traveling with my good friend, Faryar. Um, we had just finished studying uh, abroad in Berlin, Germany, and we're doing a little travel through Eastern Europe. And we found ourselves in Kiev. And, uh, you know, of course, it's interesting times right now. Um, I, you know, they're my, they're my thoughts, obviously. Um, but, you know, Kiev is not a backpacker destination. In fact, it's not much of a tourist destination at all. So Faryar and I are walking around 
and we kind of start talking to people we're like asking like hey is there any cool local bars you know we're looking for somewhere fun to go and they point us to the direction of this one bar and we get there and it's just like a door it just looks so uninviting and uh i just you know i remember opening this thing and going oh shit so i walk in and they could tell that we were not from there immediately so the, a bunch of guys just start walking towards me and i'm like oh shit, what's going on and they grab me and they put me in this like nazi trench coat and they put a nazi hat on my head and i'm going what the fuck is going on and then they rubbed my helmet on the top with some sort of like cloth and then they lit it on fire and i'm going holy shit, what is going on and they just grab both of my arms and they make me sit at the bar and the bartender just starts ringing this bell and he just pours a shot and like knocks it on the table and then smacks it against my head and makes me drink it. And he's he ringing the bell again, knocks it on the table, smacks it against my head, makes me drink it. <laughs> then he picks up a keg, a little pony keg, hits me over the head with it and just makes me chug this beer. <laughs> I'm going, what in the hell is going on? And I, obviously everyone in the bar is like hooting and hollering and laughing. And uh, it turns out, I'm just like in shock. Fireyard is just sitting there going, what the hell is going on? It turns out it was in the summertime. It was the last day of World War II. And they were celebrating the great patriotic war for them. And they thought that I was German. <laughs> so they are giving me a little punishment. So that was the most random uh, bar experience I've had in Eastern Europe, for sure. But it's kind of oh funny. Oh, my God. That's wild. Are there any, are there any photos of this? No, Fire I was too much in shock to even think about that. <laughs> Probably for the best. Yeah, yeah. But meanwhile, you know, my head's on fire this whole time and I'm just like, what is going on? Anyways, it was kind of one of those just like funny things that happened. But obviously afterwards we became friends with all these guys and just had an absolute hoot of a night. Yeah. And uh, just a, a word of advice for people traveling in Russia or Ukraine. Um, they may be at war right now, but they both countries have one thing in common, which is a Russian or Ukrainian, any Russian or Ukrainian can drink you under the table. Do not mess with them. They are professionals. It's like running a marathon. It's like running a marathon against a Kenyan. Like you're not going to win. John, I'm so impressed to hear you say that. Not a lot of people know that. Um, they are professional drinkers. They'll put yeah. Martin Dyer and myself to shame. These guys, yeah. and I mean, they're trained from birth basically to be vodka drinkers. I mean, yeah. um, I, I'm not sure why people think like the Irish can drink or the Germans can drink. No, there is no question. I mean, the boys out in Ukraine and Belarus and Poland and Russia can just put you to shame any day. Yeah, it's like Kenyans with marathon running, Nepalese with mountain climbing. This is just, this is what we do. We are all professionals and you can't beat us. <laughs> well put, well put. Um, all right, so let's go through, as we come to the end, the main pieces of advice here. It's do your research, know the country you're going to, know a little bit of the language if you can. Be prepared to handle the nuts and bolts, travel insurance, SIM card, handling money, have two ATM cards, stay flexible, have a flexible itinerary, uh, know the COVID rules, and pick the right place to go, someplace that you're passionate about and that fits with the season, you know, because there are some places that have seasonal, seasonal downtime, 
like a wet season or a winter when you want to be there in the summer. And there are places that, you know, they have seasons that bring real treasures like Germany and Oktoberfest, or mm. you mentioned uh, Pamplona and the running of the bulls. I mentioned the sumo tournament. A carnival is another one in mm-hmm. Rio. You know, that's a, that's a thing that happens once a year. There are new year's celebrations in various countries that don't use the same calendar traditionally, like China has Chinese New Year. The number of Asian countries have their own New Year's uh, that you can go and have a special experience if you want that. So pick the right place, know the season, know the place a little bit, do your research and make sure the nuts and bolts are taken care of and uh, look out for the travel guides and make a map. That's about it, right? Yeah, that sounds about it. And, you know, just um, enjoy yourself and just take every day at a time be positive and remember it's not always going to be fun. You know, I think we learn the most when things aren't fun. And, and frankly, those make the best stories as you might've just heard. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that covers most of the advice. Do you have any sort of parting advice, parting words of wisdom for our listeners? Yeah, I do. You know, I just want to, you know, make it clear that, you know, it, it, not everything is about having fun. You know, having fun is, is just one goal of many, you know, Get out there, get comfortable being uncomfortable, really start to push yourself. You know, we learn the most during these times. Um, and, you know, another point is just if you do the things you love, you're going to meet the people you love. And that's not just a travel thing. That's a life thing. So be the best version of yourself out there when you travel. It's an opportunity to kind of reinvent yourself and become whoever you want to be. And lastly, and I think most importantly, is just say yes. Go with the flow. Just be open to new stuff and just go for it. Uh, life is short and, you know, we really don't have much time on this planet. So, you know, you're going to regret more by saying no than, well, than by saying yes. Well, happy travels to all of our listeners over the summer. Uh, we hope that you manage to find some time to go somewhere and have a great time while you do. Tom Smith, thank you so much for sharing your expertise on the podcast and being with us today from, from your vacation in Hawaii. I, I really appreciate <laughs> you making some time for this. John, it was an honor to be on here. Appreciate it. Now we're going to uh, play the show out with a song that anyone who watched TV in the 1990s remembers this song from all the old United Airlines commercials. It's a beautiful song called Rhapsody in Blue to send you off to your own travels. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next time.